Uh, hello, everyone watching. Welcome to this gathering. My name is Wayne Mingesha. I'm the artistic director at Soul Pepper Theater, and uh, it's my great fortune to be joined by four other dynamic women who are also directing in this Soul Pepper season this year. Um, we're really excited about uh, the fact that. This team of women will be um, all of the women doing um, directing all of the Soul Pepper produced shows of our season, which is a first in uh, the 25 years of our history. So it's something to celebrate um, as we move into International Women's Day tomorrow. Uh, and uh, for me, this is kind of like a, a dinner party that I dream of having, and one day we'll be able to do this live. But uh, these. Uh, season as well. Um, we are here gathered and many of you are gathered with us in support of our Women Center Stage program, which was formerly known as our Top Women program. Um, we've currently changed the name, um, really excited, same mission, um, just to really bring together allies supporting Women Center Stage at Soul Pepper and um, for the industry at large. And uh, we've been promoting uh, direct designers, playwrights, executive directors, artistic directors, um, and this year, directors. Uh, and I'm really excited about that as uh, we hardly ever get to talk to each other. And I've spoken to this about some of the directors, with some of the directors on this call, that it's a kind of a lonely sport. So to be able to, I'm, I'm actually really personally excited to hear the answers of some of the questions I'm gonna ask <laughs> to these women tonight. Um, and we would love to also hear your questions. So please feel free to use the chat function and throw in any question you might have um, we'll tell you more about the plays that we're, each of us are directing um, and a bit about how we got into this field, um, but please, at any time, we would love to make this more of a dialogue, so jump in. Uh, we also wanted to just talk about this top woman now turned women center stage program and the evolution and another really exciting new aspect to the program, which is the Her Words Festival, which we were able to launch last year. And that came out of uh, uh, recognizing a study that was done by Playwrights Canada, Playwrights Guild Canada, that showed that only 34% of female playwrights are being produced on stages across Canada. And when we saw this, we we thought about what role we could play as a large scale theater in this in, in this ecosystem and we talked about um, creating chairs for women what we've called chairs and now we've, we've we formally called it six women writing so we committed we committed to commissioning six women and presenting their work within the next three years and we're really excited to do that this first season with goneril um, which is a play that uh, i get to direct this season um, and we have four other women and we presented all of their work at the Her Words Festival, which we've just found out we've gotten some great support for and we will make we will be making an annual festival. So um, we're really excited about that. And it means we get to commission more writers and we get to show their work. And we also have this incredible emerging program that goes alongside of that. So each part's also paired with an emerging playwright and we get to hear their work as well at the festival. Um, and it's just been a, a really great pipeline system to be able to make sure that we continue to hear our voices on stages across the country um, and support them at, at a high level. And that starts with having really great directors. And that's who I'm joined with today. I'm gonna to tell you a bit about who's on this panel. We have Jani Luzon, who is a Juno-nominated singer, songwriter, a Gemini award-winning puppeteer, a multi-award-winning screen actress, a multi-nominated uh, a filmmaker and a director joining us this season to direct Where the Blood Mixes by Kevin Lauren. Hi, Jenny. And next we have Ken Senclip Harvey, who is a storyteller, indigenous theorist, and cultural evolutionist who uses a variety of modalities, including playwriting, TV writing, blog, and podcasting to work towards the equitable treatment of her peoples. She uses the writer and direct, she is the writer and director of Kamlupa. Hi, Kim. Uh, next, we have Meg Rowe, an actor, director, dramaturg, composer, and sound designer, and has been seen across, the can across Canada and won many awards in all of these roles. And she's joining us this year to direct Bad Parent by Inns Troy. Hey, Meg. And last is Kim Collier, a Spinovich Prize-winning director, among many other awards, a creator, an educator, an actress, and is the co-founder of Electric Company Theater. 
And this year, she's directing King Lear for us, which runs in rep with Queen Gonroll, uh, which I will be directing. So Kim and I actually just spent a, a weekend together, uh, basically all night long in the Bailey, dreaming up uh, a world that could hold King Lear and Goneril. It's the same play, but we go seven years earlier and Goneril through the perspective of these young daughters, and then seven years later through the perspective of Lear, um, or through everybody, but um, recognizing that those women only have 6% of the text in Lear. There's a bit of a this other play that Aaron Shields has written to round out that experience. Uh, and it's really fun, I have to say, to have another director to dream with. It's been such a unique experience and uh, and a lot of fun. And uh, it doesn't help that she's also brilliant uh, and an amazing designer. It, you know, her mind works that way. So it's been really, really fun. So that that is our wonderful panel tonight. And uh, we want to thank a couple of people, of course, that make this program po possible um, and help us really continue to make this program thrive and build and 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 you know keep its evolution going as it's going. So first, we want to thank our Women's Center Stage members watching at home. So many of you have just personally donated and been committed, and some of you for uh, over a decade. So we just want to thank you so much for your continued commitment to this and your renewed commitment. And some of you have come in even um, stronger after we started the Her Words Festival, and you really made it possible for us to um, make sure that we're not just supporting and commissioning, but we're actually seeing these plays all the way through to the stages, because that's what that statistic really reflected, is that people are being commissioned, people are getting to do backstage performances or two-day workshops, but what we need is we need to support these writers to the finish line. So um, this program helps that happen, so thank you so much. Um, and, uh, oops, sorry. Yes. And yeah, that is all. We were going to thank those women. Um, I had two pieces of paper. I wanted to make sure I did not forget anyone. So now we get into um, the juicy bits. We get to talk uh, amongst ourselves. Um, and I, I have, yeah, burning questions. And also, I want to say to all of you, if you have a question you'd like to, you know, we can make this a dialogue. These are just jumping off points. But if there are burning questions that you have that you're curious about, please do jump in. Um, the first thing I wanted to start with is just, you know, uh, as we heard, like Meg's also a sound designer. Some people are, 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 are um, they, they work in different disciplines. And I just wanted to know what was your first discipline? You know, was directing your first discipline? And if it was, what drew you to it? Just a bit about your journey to becoming, uh, you know, having that name in your title on your resume, director. Um, does anybody want to go first? I'll hop in because I want to make sense. So oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead Kim. Yeah, go for it. I feel like uh, I just started uh, as a performer, as, a, as an actor, but also I was like thinking about this question and realizing that in high school, I actually started writing before directing. And I think as other people on this panel, um, directing was something that I dreamed of doing and something that I wanted to do. Um, but I also feel like it was really necessary um, because I wasn't seeing a lot of um, indigenous directors with my sensibility uh, and the sense of humor and the aesthetic that I wanted to kind of direct in and uh, explore that sense of humor um, and subversion. Uh, and so for me, a, a, a part of it was that there just was not, you know, unfortunately enough indigenous uh, directors being supported uh, with the same kind of aesthetic that I have um, and that the Kamloopa and break in those worlds that I create have. Um, and also I was really um, interested in the methodology of, of directing and creating and holding space in ways that um, live next to Western creation methodologies with regards to self and balance and nourishment and the process being the art. And I just, yeah, I feel very honored to get to direct in the season with this company of incredible uh, women and, and ferocious leaders in terms of artistic innovation. Um, and I'm, I'm, to me, that's what I love about directing. I always say like, I feel a bit like a soccer mom. Like I go in and I was saying, I would like cheer on the Kamloopa crew and I would be like, they nailed it. And then like, I just feel so happy when I see them fly and see performers that you get to direct 
fly, like also coming from an athletic coaching background, that's one of the greatest things that I love about directing and coaching is like when they nail the move, when they nail the transition, when they hit that scene, when they come back and they're like, did you see, did you see? And I'm like, yeah, I saw, I totally saw, we killed it, it was amazing. Um, and also that you directing is lonely and I'm, I'd offer writings even lonelier. And so to just write and not actually see this come to fruition and get time to work on those relations um, is really important and, and is really important. And I was talking to actually Kim's friend, Kevin, the co-founder of The Electrics, about the fact that I like to direct the first iteration of it. And then I'm happy to give it away after that. From a writing perspective, I feel like it's not complete writing wise until I get a stab at directing it. And then I can go back with my publisher and say, okay, I think this will work. And then I, and then I can hand it off. And so I remember I had a lot of, um, how do I say this nicely, older white men who are artistic directors who wanted to produce Kamupa who couldn't fathom that I would also direct, uh, that it was not a good decision and that they, it was not going to end well. Um, and it was really hard for them to receive the notion that I was actually, I had to direct it because I had to see through some of these writing aspects of it. And so the writing and directing lives very close to me in my practice and, and pedagogy. Beautiful. And how far into your theater making practice did you start to direct? Well, I also directed the first play I wrote when I was 14. So the writing, okay. directing, like I, wrote, I also directed that. And so I feel like that's just the thing that I do. And I had to speak to a lot of producers saying like the, the ascendancy of indigenous creators, especially matriarchs like Jenny and Yvette and Margot, uh, you know, writing and then directing is a very much a part of the indigenous per, uh, creation practice. And I feel like, you know, Marie Clements, uh, uh, Lisa Ravensbergen, all of these women create and go on to lead the production of it. And I feel like that's really under misunderstood or, or not as respected as much as it needs to be to realize that indigenous women have really been uh, for leading this, this notion of writing creation and then seeing it to get to that finish line. And so, so, so young, young, but also like I have control issues. So like I... <laughs> Like I need to, I need to, I need to go do it myself and then let it go. So like, there's also, you can sound really fancy artistically, but at the end of the day, I'm control issues. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say there are really specific cultural desires that you have, which I've, I've, I've seen in your work. And I'm really glad that that is a part of your process. Um, beautiful. Did you want to go, Meg? <laughs> sure. Um, I started out as an actor and um, really quickly became a sound designer composer. Kind of I, basically, I left school and a year later I was doing both. And I didn't start directing until I'd been out for on the, in the world for eight or nine years. I was in my late 20s when I started. Um, uh, but I still do all, I like to do all three. I'd be sad to leave any of them behind. I really love performing and um, it's, I, I think each like they they marry together really well all three I was really grateful to have had so much experience in all of them and continue to get experience in all of them it's good like to think about coaching it's also good to be on the defense line at a certain point you know just to remember how awful that is sometimes and similarly uh to design you know designing can be a, is kind of a rough road often and so uh, i think it's good to, to you know play all sides of the table or i find it really beneficial to me to play all sides of the table yeah and so what but how did you make that change to directing when did you how did you know that's something you wanted to do um i didn't really want to do it actually and uh get this is a super like you know i was a real asshole i didn't want to direct uh bart on the beach invited me to direct a show and i said no and then they asked me again, and I said no again. And then uh, Christopher Gaze, who's the artistic director of Bard, asked me to do like a treatment. Would I do a treatment on the Tempest as an experiment? And I sort of like rolled my eyes and said I would. And then, then he said, well, that's what we'll do. Let's do that. It was pretty astonishing and really lucky. And actually, Kim and I shared that stage. So we did what you just did way back then. Um, and uh, I decided to do it. I didn't want to do it because, uh, to be frank, I had not had a lot of great experiences with directors as a performer and as a designer. And I wasn't sure I really wanted to be a part of that um, discipline. I hadn't really felt like I'd seen a lot of generosity coming down. And, uh, and I wasn't sure it was something I wanted to do. 
but uh, I decided I would take the kind of risk at it in, for no other reason than it was such an enormous privilege to have a ginormous company invite you to like experiment with them. And it'd be a real jerk move not to. So uh, my partner said, you know, in 20 years when you want to direct it and we're trying to cobble together 200 bucks to put on a show in the living room, you'll really regret this uh, asshole moment where you say no. So I said, yes. And I really liked it. And I had a great time doing it. And I, I'm good at it and kept going. And now here I am. And that's sort of the, the story. All right. Thanks, Christopher. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Who's next? Um, I don't know what your connection's like. Kim, do you want to jump in or do you want me to do so? You might have to go. Again. Sorry, I was what? just trying to say go, go, and then I'll go after you. I okay. couldn't find my uh, mute button. Okay, cheers. Um, well, I actually started out as a mime. <laughs> my, my, uh, my initial training was um, I was I was really actually drawn to a lot of um, a lot of the work coming out of the province of Quebec and um, visual theater, uh, but I primarily started out as a street performer and and I I think there was something really beautiful about that relationship of performer to audience and you know street performances. Uh, one of the hardest things I ever did, but it's 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 pretty ruthless and it's fantastic for that because there's, there's you can't you just you know you have to engage or people walk away. So it was re a really a great part of my initial training um, and clowning. I was really interested in uh, in a European style clown, not a circus clown, um, because I think there's something quite beautiful about where the clown lives, which is uh, always trying to balance the extreme joy with the extreme, um, the ecstasy of joy with the ecstasy of, um, of grief, I guess. That's my own, those are my own words. Um, and I didn't really start thinking of directing until uh, in my early 20s. I don't know I don't know what they were thinking, but somebody hired me <laughs> at the Claude Watson School for the Arts in Toronto to develop a mime mask and clown program for the junior campus. So I started uh, early as an artist educator. And as part of that, I, I would help the students create and direct these little projects that would, um, that would be part of the end of the year showcase. And I really, you know, I, I, I enjoyed the collaboration. I guess it's what I love to look at in terms of directing is um, is really making sure that I collaborate with my with my actors. And going back to what Meg was saying, like there's a lot of directors that I worked with that I as an actor that I uh, that I I just I've learned very quickly what I didn't want to be as a director, who I didn't want to be as a director. And the other thing that um, really helped me when I was just starting out also as, as an actor and, and getting into Shakespeare and, and well, trying to get into Shakespeare because I wasn't really even allowed to audition for Shakespeare roles at, at that time. Um, a little too brown for that. Um, not white enough for other things. Uh, but I remember going, the Tarragon Theatre used to have this um, panel where artistic directors and agents and stuff would uh, and directors would sit in this big table and then young actors could come in and do work and I came in and I did a clown routine and a Shakespeare monologue and they <laughs> and they all looked at me and said you know you should just choose one thing like just choose one just choose one discipline and I, and I couldn't and I for a while I felt really bad about myself because I I couldn't just choose one discipline. I'm a musician. I'm. Uh, I'm. I love visual theater. I love Shakespeare. I. I loved doing all of these things, and um, and now I'm very thankful that I didn't listen to them because all of those roads and all of those disciplines have now come together uh, in my heart and in my mind, and it's how I look at things as a director. Is the is the intersection of disciplines. So I'm, I feel really lucky that I'm 
that I have all of these things to draw on and to uh, inform myself. I'm, I still, though, I am a very visual person, so I do go back a lot to creating stories and pictures, sorry, pictures on stage uh, through storytelling. Hence, I love working with designers uh, just as much as I love working with actors. Another person who loves working with designers. Kim, can you? Uh... Okay, here I am. Yay. Hi. Great. So um, I, it's funny finding your way to directing. So there's, um, but I would say that for me, there were so many things in life I was interested in. Uh, and when I went to go to university, I wanted to take it all like outdoor rec and music and all the sciences so I could be a, you know, a dentist and all these different things. And then I was like, oh my God, you can't take everything. So I went to the theater department and my mom said, well, you know, you'll always be able to use some acting skills in life, no matter what you do. And um, I think what happened when I, when I went into the theater is, well, they were always my people. It was always my home. I just didn't understand that that home and that place that I love so much could also be a career. And um, so when I looked back on my life, I discovered as a little girl that I was always making shows. And I actually was kind of running the show, like editing in camera on old Super 8s or, you know, getting all my friends in the neighborhood to do shows or starting the drama club in elementary school by grade three. And so it was only later in life when I looked back and I went, oh, it was something innate about me as a way of moving in the world. But I initially started as an actress. I did lots and lots of acting training. And like Lonnie, I was, I did physical theater and mime. And then I eventually um, went to UBIC and that, and then eventually to U58. But all that to say, I kind of started in stage management and acting. And then I thought, oh, I can't be a stage manager because I just have too much impulse to speak all the time uh, about things. And then I was an actress and, and I would just get so nervous. Like I'd be sick and I'd want to throw up. And, um, and then I found with my collaborators, God bless them, um, that, that I just was more at home on the other side. So I was always sort of bursting with a sense of um ideas and shape and possibilities and structures and i would do that sort of thing and then so it just slowly happened that eventually i ended up on the outside but i i didn't know i was heading there and i think that you know because this is a woman's panel the idea i had when i was young of what a director was was a man at the front of the room pontificating and being hyper intellectual um about the play you know and um it wasn't till I was in the profession for quite a long time. I mean, I probably never led my own direction if we wanted to count it like really professional till in my thirties, but it was, I slowly came to understand that directing is everything and that there is so much to directing that is beyond the intellectual person standing at the front of the room. It's empathy, it's understanding human connections, it's composition, it's every single design department is the rhythm of music it's the flow of a moment it's it's like thinking about life and reflecting on it and then trying to wrestle that in and make it in relationship to the to the play or the words you're going it just goes on and on and it made me realize like wow like even if you're not good at one part of directing there are so many aspects to it that you maybe are thriving in everything from organization to scheduling to the best way to use your resources and on it goes so I guess I just sort of found eventually that it was a place that could use so much of me, so many parts of my personality and so many parts of my brain. And it just became this wonderful, natural evolution in my life. So I just eventually ended up there. That's my start. It's so true. So many, you know, I, I definitely remember thinking that too, that directing was this, um, you know, had so much to do with just the uh, the ideas um, and uh, and that I remember like the breakthrough of going like, oh, you don't have, you know, even the first time I remember saying I don't know and the liberation of that because it has, it's not it's not just about knowing, right? It's actually about it's about leaving the room to collect everyone's thoughts. Yeah. You know, it's so important that we are able to communicate for media or things that are our ideas. But ultimately, you have to be able to create drama and create the beauty and create the thing in the room. And that may not be the same 
skill set as being able to speak about the work. You know, but you really do need to be able to feel and move in the room and, and create the create the work and before the room too. So it's interesting, interesting thing. It's true. I don't know about you guys, but I personally like I, I really don't love writing director's notes in programs. Because <laughs> um, yeah, because <laughs> I'm such a visual person and I'm like, I, I yeah, what I think about the play is it's that, you know, uh, it's very hard for me to articulate. It. And I felt I think I, I felt like I could, I wouldn't even make theater. Um, anyway, as a writer, uh, as speaking, I, love it. I love it. I love yeah, another opportunity I to didactically express in case we miss it. Like to me, I'm like, what do you need? What's my word count? Like I get really fanatical about it. And Colleen Murphy would tell me, she was like, I hate playwrights though. And I was like, I love them. Give me that space too. All right. Like I, to me, I don't know. I don't, I don't mind doing that kind of stuff. Note to self, call Kim to write my notes for me. For my I will play. see it and write you some copy. I'm really good at writing copy and giving it to you. Like I really, I'm like, we have to juice this opportunity. What if the husband falls asleep, but read the, the director's notes and that's why he stayed. Like I get really like, I think about the audience's experience in, you know what I mean? And I think about the person who might not get all the beautiful visual stuff. And I'm like, what if there's a hook? What if there's one thing that we could have said right at the beginning that might've kept him alive when he wanted to fall asleep in the warm womb of a theater in uh, 90 minutes in. <laughs> well, let's talk about the plays that we're directing. Let's tell uh, folks who, what, what we talked about which ones you're directing, but I'd like to know why you wanted to direct it. I mean, we kind of understand Kim's, but maybe specifically this one, why you want to do it again, an East Coast premiere. <laughs> Um, and yeah, what's the play and what's your relationship to the play and, and why did you want to direct it? So I'm directing Kamlupa and Indigenous, yeah, I can, I can just, uh, Indigenous, Kamlupa and Indigenous Matriarch story. Uh, Wayne, you know, we were speaking about it and you were talking about the creation of your season and having blood, but then also having, you know, a feminist kind of matriarchal focus plays live with it to kind of round it out. And I just was like, yes, absolutely. Uh, and then you offered me the opportunity to direct it as well. I was like, you know, if we do this, we really want you. And so I really appreciate that because to me, like we did Kamlupa on a dollar in 16 days you know, with the, a crew and time of nothing. And whatever we accomplished was on the backs and the like, labor of a design team that was working 16 hour days from day one. And to get the opportunity to return to it after such a beautiful gestation period and time away. And I was saying to um, Keith, who uh, formerly at NEPA, I was saying, I'm just excited to actually get some time to direct because it was such a whirlwind on such a big thing. And I was writing it and producing it. We were doing like so much auxiliary components. I was like, the fact that I feel really great with where the script is at and that I get the time to just approach it as a director and get that that really juicy time with the performers and have aria of the movement and, and take another stab at the sound like there's so much and I'm sure the panelists can speak to this when you're under time constraints or on a new work on a world premiere when you see it and you're like oh had we more time had I another opportunity had I like and afterwards that like Four months later, you're like, ah, that was that thing we should have done there. And so to, to kind of market all of that and get another opportunity to just really live in relationship to Kamupa, you know, and listen to what she needs at this time on these lands, in this territory, in this moment. It is a new production unto itself that deserves this moment in this presence. And I'm, I'm just really excited to, to get that opportunity. Can't wait. Uh, Meg, you're also doing a world premiere, a three city world premiere. Yes. Uh, and uh, for those of you who don't know Inst Troy's name right away, he is uh, the writer of Kim's Convenience and this is his second play, which uh, is so exciting. Uh, so Meg. Well, I'm a newcomer to this play. I, I uh, was, I, the show has been um, in the works for a really long time, I think three years. Uh, and COVID delayed it a lot and delayed it really recently, like very, very recently. And they lost their director. And so I've just come on board um, to uh, swoop in and save the day. Let's say that <laughs> uh, the show, the play itself is, uh, it's called Bad Parent. And it's a, I like to think of it as like a fantasy 
it's a couple who have a young child who's two, a little over two, three years old, let's say. Um, and they both think of themselves as being the bad parent. And they're both great parents and also terrible parents, which feels um, really, uh, I feel very seen in that story. I have three little kids. <clears throat> you can see their handiwork here. Uh, they are nine and six. I have twins who are six and a big kid who's nine. And uh, I am really interested in what happens to people like over the span of time of a long, long life and all life is long until it isn't. Uh, you change over and over again. I mean, I feel like I've changed many, many times and gone through many iterations of myself. But a few of those big markers are meeting a partner that you might spend a really long time with and having a child. And both those things are kind of um, uh, explored in Inz's play in a really funny, kind of grubby, um, realistic, but also fantastical kind of way. These two people who have this baby and have lost themselves. And the baby isn't there, which I really like. And we never meet him, which I think is great. And uh, we just talk about them, growing up them, and how uh, inadequate they feel and how lost they are. And also what a great job they're doing. They're like rock stars all at the same time. It's really great. I'm really excited. As a director, a lot. I'm a real prep person. I love to prep a show. I'll prep a show for years, like easily, happily. Um, and uh, I've never had an experience with such a short process before. And it's actually really attractive to me. It feels like an opportunity to kind of shed some stuff or um, see if some of it might be sheddable, let's say. And, uh, and also a chance to like dive into a world that's been well-established with designers and performers and producers and writers who've all been committed to it for such a long time Often uh, in my practice, I feel like I, I am that torch holder. And in this practice, I'm like the interloper. Like I just swan in at the last minute and pick some good carpet. You know, it's really been an interesting and, and I was really attracted to that idea, particularly after COVID and everything that the last two years have been just to um, basically discard everything that I would normally identify as what I do, the A to B to direct a show is all gone. And it's been really fun. I start on Monday and uh, yeah. And um, yeah, I just got the pages. No, it's a good, yeah, it's gonna be really fun, I think. <laughs> yes, we're excited to come to Monday. So on Monday will be a big celebration of Soul Pepper, uh, Prairie Theater Exchange in Vancouver. We're doing it across the country, uh, which is exactly what INS deserves after Kim's, you know, it's uh, crazy that actually it took this long to his second play to be produced, but I'm so excited to do like this national celebration. Um, so Soul Pepper, you get to come to us last, but we'll all be there on Zoom on Monday to cheer you on. Um, right. So yeah, thanks Meg. So excited. Um, and it's yeah. such Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I got to, I was lucky enough to dance in his world for a long time and uh -huh. he's such a, Wonderful. I think fantasy is such a good word for him. It's so good. Oh yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, Jenny. Yeah, um, well, I, uh, we are uh, bringing forward Kevin Loring's beautiful play, Where the Blood Mixes, which was um, so harshly um, uh, interrupted in the 2020 season at Soul Pepper, uh, we were <laughs> heading into that really lovely, lovely stage of uh, trying to, you know, go, yeah, the planning stage, uh, the prepping stage. Um, well, we were quite far into the prepping stage, actually. Um, so um, really excited to be able to uh, bring those ideas that have had two years to percolate. <laughs> Uh, Kevin's uh, award-winning show and while uh, well some may say that it's really a, a show about um, the traumas experienced um, around residential school residue I also see it as a uh, a, um, a celebration of uh, reuniting with not only we, almost taking aspects of of um, of family and land and and uh, remembering and uh, teachings 
and ancient, ancient knowledge and weaving, very gently weaving those things back together again. I, the, what I love about the play is that it's, it takes us on a beautiful journey uh, in between um, not fantasy, but um, but myth and, and I don't like the word myth either. I just call it ancient knowledge, and uh, and the the circumstances of reality. And I love how it uh, takes us on a journey that touches on on both of those levels. I'm, I'm it's really exciting for me too because I think it's a designer's dream. There's lots of possibilities for um taking us into these beautiful beautiful worlds so i'm very excited about where the design's going right now and um yeah i you know i i think too in terms of my process i'm uh i i really appreciate what you're saying meg in terms of all of us have such different ways of of looking at directing and and I do my own prep work, but what I love the most is when when you just get into the room with everybody, and it's that collective uh, mind and energy and spirit that comes comes forward. Um, and I'm I'm really excited about uh, what that will bring. Yeah, I was talking with Ken this morning, and uh, he was working on the set, which seems gorgeous, exciting you're thinking through very exciting uh kim want to talk about lear oh i was on yeah um so it's what are we directing so i'm directing king lear beside queen goneril with wayne um why do i want to do it well first of all it came from from wayne this incredible proposition um they've been working um on queen goneril uh as part of your um playwrights initiative and and um, so I'll just be airy fairy for a moment here first, is that I had this thing where I'm wanting to not direct as many large scale shows anymore um, in my life, because it is such an enormous rendering of your whole soul and mind with your whole team onto the stage. And, but I had in my heart, I was like, I love directing Shakespeare's plays so much. I thought I want to do one more. In, you know, before I throw in the towel. And then I felt like when Wayne called me, it was destined or like I had to say yes, even if it was the wrong time in my life that that the world had manifest this um, because I had the thoughts. So anyway, that's my airy fairy part of it. But then the proposition was very interesting that Aaron Shields and with Winnie's support and uh, contributions had written this play that was seven years before Lear. And I thought, what an interesting, you know, opportunity to collaborate with Wayne which will help me grow as, a, as an artist and, and also be a, a new way of uh, approaching a larger epic. So like uh, in the past, I've had rep companies before, like with Meg and um, other directors, but you've never, as Wayne and I were speaking, we decided to not have them be separate productions, but really try to hold uh, and create a world together. And this is something I've never done before in this way. So it's super, super cool. So we, you know, we are really, I guess, walking towards each other instead of being distinct and um so the proposition that the queen goneril interpretation of the king lear characters and that i need to respond to erin shield's play and then carry what what she's doing on uh, is um and giving those women a voice which we know when can speak to more than me but it's pretty cool like uh erin shields has tried to figure out why um, people do what they do, what they do, what they do it in King Lear and gives the back psychology. So it's pretty fascinating to try to work with that and see how it can influence or track through into King Lear. But then, you know, I would say when people would ask me, why do you want to direct King Lear? The King Lear is so big. It's such a, such a huge, deep, massive play. And I didn't feel like I could answer that until I studied it for months and months and months and months. And I know when you take on a Shakespeare play that it's going to be the opportunity for me to enrich my life through this text. That as I get to know it, I will learn more and more about life and living and our humanity. And, and so it's like taking on like, it's like taking on this huge opportunity to grow. And uh, 
so when we were casting our King Lear, I said, I don't, I can't tell you what I'm going to do with it personally yet, aside from like drawing from this proposition that Winnie brought to me. But I said, you know, by the time we get there, we're going to have some pretty clear ideas. But when you take a great text like that, you have to study it. You have to have it begin to speak to you and show you what is there. And then, you know, render that against this modern moment. And what I'm learning is that King Lear is the perfect play to be doing right now. That there is all these structures in King Lear that start to crumble and we end up in this um, kind of wasteland of the previous previous structures that the humans were moving within. And it's so perfect for this day as we're really challenging how, what, why, why we, we, we move through the world, but either politically or socially or it's all there. And so uh, King Lear seems to support very well Aaron's proposition and then, and then also out into wider, wider culture right now. I think it's going to speak really, really powerfully. Though I'm, I'm not going to dig on what that is, but those are some of the reasons why I'm, I'm doing it and I'm so excited to do it. It's just like, I feel like the muse I have in my life right now is the most amazing muse ever. I, I feel so lucky to have been given this opportunity and thank you so much, Rennie. And I, I mean, I could go on forever about King Lear. It's like bottomless thematically, but I won't do that here now. Okay. Oh but yeah, well, that's, I, I'm- That's yeah, for the Kim. director's notes, Kim. That's for the director's notes. Exactly. The ones that Kim's going to write for you, if you just yeah, send exactly. her an email, she'll send you the copy. Yeah. yeah. I, I offer, like, when I think about them, it's like, I always say, like, what impetus? And then, like, the last things I learned in the hall is, like, usually what I'll put in the in the notes, just so you can, just, like, dram and dramaturgically structuring that little piece. So the <laughs> audience rides with me in it. Why? What impetus? And then the things that even sometimes the performers are like, why look about that? So those last tidbits as you're on the last bit of it that you go, oh, okay, right, right, right. I'm still gonna call you. Um, one <laughs> um, so, uh, one participant who's watching, Dana Lafarga had said, um, she said that was really interesting what Meg was saying about the opportunity that was presented to her and that she uh, didn't take it. And she said, why is it sometimes difficult for US female arts makers to say yes when opportunities present themselves? Does that resonate for anyone as far as um, struggling with that in the past? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think like, I, mean, I can speak um, personally about mm -hmm. oh. you go, you go. No, no, you had something go for it. <laughs> no, just the the uh, the idea that it's pretty rare it, when I, I was 27 or 28 or something when I directed that show. And I think I'd only been directed by a woman maybe once before. And I had done a lot of work. It was probably Kim. Like, who knows? You know, the, there was just not a lot of experience of seeing, um, of seeing different leadership styles at that time when I was coming up in the regionals in the early aughts. That that was like just not something you had a lot of opportunities to see. And the power dynamic was extremely rigid. Um, and I think still is, to be frank. But then there was just very few examples of a kind of um, a, a, a flat room. It was all pretty triangly. And so the idea that you'd be asked to do something felt both like impossible because of imposter syndrome and self-doubt and a lack of experience and youthfulness and who knows what. But then also this idea that you might have to conform to a structure that you didn't feel had a place for you in it. And those, the combination of those two things are probably what, what drove me to saying no. Um, and then the deconstruction of that is what, why I've stayed on in the position is to try to, uh, if nothing else, just do my thing and maybe uh, through doing that, demonstrate a way of doing it that is different than someone else's and that that maybe assists in other younger artists or, or old artists who wanna try to see that there's like just alternate ways of leading rooms and creating art and thinking about artists, um, that, all those things, you know, and then just lop in a bunch of 28 year old nervousness. And that was a pretty big gate at the time, you know? Yeah, I think he spoke. Uh, yeah, he definitely expressed a lot of things I felt in my in my past, and I would think even even getting even saying yes to this position 
as artistic director, you know, there's been times in the past where I was asked about positions that have come up. Um, and uh, I, I always did, thought it wasn't for me because I felt like it was going to be way too rigid. Um, and yeah, it was going to be, I was going to have to make a bunch of compromises, essentially. And, 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 and then we got to, yeah, at this point, I said to myself, well, if I don't take this job, and if we don't start to all occupy these spaces, then we're leaving a legacy of compromises for everybody else. So let's start to shift that. Um, but yeah, Dana, thank you for your question, because I think it's a real, it's a real thing that probably many women face in many different sectors. Um, but it is, it's, the yes is happening. And look, look at all these women who said yes this year. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm truly grateful. Uh, I was going to speak about the piece. I am, I'm currently in rehearsals at Soul Pepper for Pipeline, which is a play by Dominique Morisseau um, that is giving me all kinds of in incredible creative energy. Um, and it's also about motherhood uh, and uh, a woman who is going through uh, a son who's, who, who's getting into a lot of trouble at school. Um, and it's at the point right now where it's actually um, really escalating and she's really blaming herself and there she's gone through a, a divorce with her partner and it's a it's a real question of um, they're all trying to sort of track the source of the problem of the break and everyone's sort of holding on to the blame but everyone's also incredible and it's 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 all of that it's the navigation of where we put our emotions and where we put our rage this is really beautiful investigation into rage and she speaks about it as this like awesome thing and and almost um magnificent she uses the word magnificent and i it really spoke to me because i was like oh rage is so ugly rage is so horrible but she was like if we don't actually own it we won't actually look at some of our intergenerational trauma some of our things that we've inherited and we have to sort of own it to dismantle it and see it for all it is and often it is really side to side love and passion and vulnerability um so it's it's a beautiful exploration very domesticated very simple story very like you know uh it's not abstracted but it is dealing with these huge historical you know ancient things that we all deal with and spe specifically in um in the black community where this place set and um I just feel so grateful every day coming out of there because we're having such such deep conversations with the cast and everybody um and I really cannot wait to share it with our audiences. Um, and then Gone Roll, I'll be doing with Kim, and it was great. Like there was a moment Kim, Kim and I were in our socks in the Bailey, just like at night, late at night, looking at that space, thinking about this world and how it's going to transform, and um, and how we can, you know, look at these uh, these women who go on this incredible journey in Lear, uh, what they're thinking about, and where some of that rage again comes from. Um, seven years earlier, and Aaron is is Aaron is just a beautiful writer, very poetic, very lyrical, very funny, um, and and loves Shakespeare. You know, like Jenny was saying, like just absolutely loves Shakespeare, but I think also had a hard time finding her way in. It didn't want to change Lyra, loves the play, but wants to speak to it and wants to speak to the fact that there's only six percent of the texts are spoken by women, and but they play such major roles in the story. So she she just said, well, you know, can I? can I have this conversation with with good old Bill? And so she does bravely. And uh, it's, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. So that will be um, Kim and I start rehearsals this summer for that. Um, can I jump in really and, quickly to Wayne just to um, uh, I just want to go back to the question about yes. So I think, uh, you know, we're at a really beautiful stage right now where there's a lot of us, uh, there's a, a good support community, there's a shift in consciousness, um, there's an interest in, in, in hoping and watching, uh, you know, female directors or female um, identifying directors coming forward and succeeding. But we do have an unconscious bias that is so ingrained in this country, and there is an equal amount of uh, of perceptions, uh, even whether people are aware of it or not, that are hoping that we fail. And so, you know, one of the things that I really take into consideration when I'm trying to say yes or no to a project is, um, do I have the team that I need? And am I working with the kind of actor that I need to help the whole group succeed? And am I being hired just as a 
as a token or as a, a checkbox or am I being hired because I'm really damn good at what I do? So I think there's a number of reasons why, you know, we we are at a precipice right now in terms of, and I hope that the next generation doesn't have to deal with this, but we are shifting the consciousness of whether we are capable of doing this or not. And, uh, you know, I like, I like to think that we're really shifting it quickly because we're proving very quickly that we're, and well, some of us have been at it for a while, but it feels like there's a, a consciousness shift in terms of, oh yeah, no, this is, this is okay. Or just working with actors. I mean, I've worked with some actors uh, who had never worked with a, a female director before and, and clearly had an issue with it. Uh, and, you know, in some instances I was able to make that work and sometimes I wasn't. And so uh, those are all of the things that I take into consideration when I'm, uh, when I'm, you know, weighing the options about whether I'm going to involve myself. Uh, and the other reason I say no is because I just don't respond to the story. Like I have to find something in the story that's interesting, no matter what it is. So um, there's lots of reasons to say yes, and there's lots of reasons to say no. I hear you. I hear you. There was a point for sure. I mean, like where, you know, sometimes the question was, you need, do you need a woman in the season? Or do you need a black woman in the season? Uh, do, or do you really believe in me? Because if the investment starts to become, well, we did it. And if she fails, then we don't have to ever do it again. <laughs> or if she's brilliant, then we're brilliant. You know, you, you can still, you can feel the difference when the, when, when there's an investment to win versus just an investment to fill the box. Um, and it's really palpable. It's an, and, uh, I do feel that shifting, you know, um, as, as, as you say, Jenny, as we're just getting the chance in the room to perform, especially on large stages and to, and to succeed because we have the room to do it. Um, and the precedence always, is like, I always say I'm the double bingo, like I'm a woman and I'm an indigenous woman. So I'm like, are you trying to get a bingo here or, or are you trying to like help me out and invest in me? So like, I always say, I'm not a bingo card for you to get more grants off later on in the later date. <laughs> Double bingo, you heard it here first, I like it. Um, so, and, and what are some of the other things that you think could shift in this, in, you know, just this is a sort of a broad question, but I am curious if there are other things you've identified that you think that would help you succeed further that you still think might be gendered or things that you're struggling with um, that we should be thinking about, you know, on a national scale. Well, I'll say this, like when you asked that, that question in prep, I was thinking about it and I was saying for me to be an AD, I wrote my own grants to AD people, but the people I AD'd were predominantly like white cis men because racialized women were either not being hired or not hired at the scale that I wanted to learn from or that they were just so busy. And women and racialized women and non-binary people are so busy already. A adding me to a fly on the wall is just, I was at their capacity and I totally understand understood that. So I actually feel really grateful that like cis white men who predominantly have a lot of support and extra resources and teams actually took me under their wing to give me those uh, directing opportunities. And I did five. And then I remember some people were like, you have to stop ADing, you have to start directing now. And so that, that transition was really important to have that. But also like, I think what Meg was talking about too, it's also diversity of leadership style. I just offered to people and to directors who have it and, 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 and the funding model to support it to say that ADing, assistant directing, is not just somebody to sit there in the room um, and, and needs to be a meaningful position and, and directors need to know how to do that. And I've been, I've been paid to sit in a room and watch for two months. And I just go like, what a waste of, you know, what a wasted opportunity here. This isn't a knowledge sharing relationship. There's no reciprocity. And so I think too, when people are coming on as associate directors or ADs or wanting to shadow uh, leaders in arts positions. It's also vetting the mentor in terms of what they're able to offer that person. And so I agree that I think Jenny mentioned too, learning about what kind of leader we wanted not to be. Uh, as a director, ADM, there are many times where I was like, wow, I'm going to not 
that's not something I'm going to want to ever do in my room ever. Um, and that was really important. But I think I, I say I, I'm obnoxious about this. I fundraise my own grants so I could get paid and paid my rent to be in those rooms. There really is no uh, directing kind of mentorship. It's not even an equity. Like I would get into fights with producing companies because an assistant director and associate director isn't even under an equity clause. So a lot of producing companies be like, we'll give you $300 a week. I'm like, when? In, in 1842? Like, what are you talking about $300 a week? It's actually meaningfully fund that position uh, and making a living wage was important and still is not there. Uh, and, and so I, I think also honoring that a director's uh, journey should include mentorship because we were invested in so much. I feel now it's my responsibility. And I'll say I'm so honored that Soul Pepper has invested and put it on the budget line item and NEPA to say, we're going to get you an assistant director in that room to support that continuance of knowledge sharing, because that was pivotal. Knowing from front end pre-production from an idea to pre-production, to production meetings, to production, to post, knowing all that, shadowing that was crucial was crucial for me to actually take it into the big stuff, knowing how budgets work, all that stuff. And I feel like often young ADs just think it's like, oh, you get into room and you direct an actor. And it's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The, the, the pre and post is huge. And, and not many people are really speaking to that. And I wish there was more opportunity for it. Yeah, I agree. It's a big part of, uh, it's a big part of my journey for sure. Um, uh, any anything else on that topic? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I I think if I had not been a designer in a technical field, I would have had a much harder time becoming a director as an actress, uh, and and all the baggage that comes with that. It would have been a much more difficult path. It was because I'd had I'd sat through thirty five professional productions worth of production meetings that I understood a little bit more departmentally and structurally how plays were made. It's like a massive insight that you would have no other access to without a time to be there. But the thing that I, I thought about this question, Winnie, and um, I mean, I'm really staying on theme here, but it, it's like childcare, I think is a major thing. And not just because of um, women often being the primary caregiver for their kids, but also because and in my practice, it's a real priority for me that I don't think we've made a lot of room for living in the theater. And we've asked people to donate their entire existences and marriages and relationships to their children and pets to this very often um, intense but small window of time, the play. And we ask people to leave themselves at the door in all sorts of ways to do that. And I feel it's something as simple as childcare and then extrapolating from, from that idea, uh, facilitating living and people being able to live and uh, go to soccer games on the weekend or uh, you know, not come every Wednesday because they have a mom who needs driving to an appointment or, you know, on and on and on. I feel like there's so much more room and flexibility for that show to show than we often give credit for. And, um, and I think, I think there's space for that at a producing level and a, a willingness for flexibility and fluidity that kind of offers the opportunity to actually live a life while you're in a play or working on a play. I, I, I would love, I'm working hard to push for more of that in the rooms that I'm in charge of and hopefully it spreads. You know, just the idea that uh, like the 12, I mean, this is, we're all reading, it's not outside the zeitgeist, but the six, six day week and, um, and the 12 hour tech days, I just don't see any point in that anymore. And I'm surprised I did for so long. And I'm, I'm so curious at how we can shovel that up towards producing and scheduling and just all the different ways we can facilitate not working to make the working better. And I, I will say it's a Monday and I just got off my two day weekend because yeah. Celebra has everything in the five day week, five day weeks. Um, and it's just game changing. Yeah. And I don't even know yeah. how and what we were thinking for so long. No. It, that it was like I actually get to do my laundry and see my children on the next day. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's big. It's big for all it's of us. Huge. And today was a big day at rehearsal and we were just talking with the stage manager and everybody and like, we were so happy by the end of the day, even though there was so much we were dealing with the different things were just, you know, in life and people's sex schedules. And we're like, you know what, we were, we totally handled the day because we were rested. Mm -hmm. Um, 
we had two days off. We were ready to do it. And mm -hmm. so we were able to end a day that was kind of chaotic and we were like cheery. And mm -hmm. so the work still is enjoyable. Anyways, mm -hmm. yes, Meg, I'm on. But you know, those um, old, those old rooms, <laughs> they really worked for a, a kind of person, a childless cis white guy who like, you know, yeah. had all the time in the world and all the parts to, to, to go for. Uh, but I, I just think anything but that model is one exclusionary policy after another. You can line it up in almost any direction and it's keeping someone out of that space. And even the idea that someone could keep a part-time job and be in your show is something we need to majorly consider and find a way to accommodate because uh, we'll lose artists because of COVID, obviously, but we were already losing artists for decades and decades because of our inability to look at people and create rooms that could hold them. And uh, it's just so important, I think, to, to live. You make better art when you're living. And we're asking people to stop living all the time, one way or another. It's true. But uh, I think with all, you know, again, we said yes, we, we stopped taking, we stopped making the compromises and here it goes, right? We're starting to decide like, actually, these are all the compromises we're going to cut. I mean, is it crazy that we're even like talking about a celebration about a Saturday working? I mean, it's just kind of crazy, but anyways, here we are. And it's eight o'clock, um, we could go on and on. And I'm so excited to have all of us in one room together at the beginning of this journey that we're all going on this year. It's, it's really, really exciting. Um, and we're all going to overlap a little bit. So we'll all be able to share space at some point in time during the season. Um, I want to thank everybody at home who's with us watching, who's supporting, who's making this possible, who's really um, prioritizing this initiative and, and, and making it possible. I, I really, from the bottom of my heart, want to thank you. Um, it makes a, a, it's going to make a big difference um, for our industry for generations. So thank you.